right, good morning, everyone. It is the last week in Advent. That means Christmas is coming. Let's stand up and let's worship the Lord here. There you go, June. Get them ready. Put your hands together, you guys. We have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous Celsius Deo means, anybody know? Glory to God in the highest. That's what it means. So there we go. There's your topic for the day.
Amen. Wave at somebody next to you and say, good to see you in church, and then have a seat. At this time, we have our last regular candle um, of Advent and before the Christ candle. So here we go. prayer right now. Um, we have a um, couple prayer requests, and I'll start. Uh, Debbie Chadwick asked for prayers for her father-in-law, George Chadwick, who's having surgery tomorrow on his neck for a bulging disc, so we want to lift him in prayer. Um, and Raquel will be um, induced tomorrow for a baby girl. You're not excited by that at all, are you, Debbie? That's Grandma Debbie. There we go. We've known each other a long time, haven't we? So that's great. That's great. We are so excited for them. Um, her and Tyler. Um, and prayer for Lindsay Racine uh, to wake up from sedation uh, due to a heart attack. Uh, so we're going to lift up prayers there. Um, and then we have, thank you, Patty. Um, we also have um, Patty asked for prayers for her brother, Ricky. Um, in the, is he in the hospital? or? Okay, so he's having, having some in and out times in the hospital uh, there. Um, Joanna and Ron, um, Praise uh, to the Holy Spirit here today, right? Is that what this says? There you go. All right. Um, and Lou is doing well, and so we're glad for that. And friend Dennis is losing his battle with COVID. So we want to lift them in prayers. We also want to lift um, Keith and Becky and Dana. Um, uh, Keith and Dana's um, uncle passed away from COVID, and they'll have, honor his life tomorrow. Um, so we want to continue to lift up uh, his family as well. Okay, so there's a lot of, lot of those um, things that are going on there. Okay, um, and so if you uh, did not lift up any, ha uh, get a chance to put down your prayer request, please go ahead and do so. Um, write those down, and um, if you if you want to write them down, you're here. You can do so. If you're at home, you can add it on the Facebook page, or you can go ahead um, and add the prayer list online, and we'll make sure it gets there. Okay, sound good? All right, let's pray. God, we come to you today, and um, wow, where did this year go? We are kind of looking at the, um, 
at Christmas is right here, and uh, some of us are probably anticipating how they have to get out of here and, and get with um, all those crazy shoppers out there. But anyway, because um, we waited till the last second. But whatever it is, God, um, we just thank you for another day in service and worship of you. Um, but mostly, God, we want to come to you in times of, of prayer. First of all, God, we just want to thank you, give you praise and honor, all that stuff that you, you deserve, that we are so negligent of giving you. God, we want to take time right now to thank you for who you are. And so, um, so God, just um, hear our, our praises as we sang, glory to God in the highest um, Excelsius Deo. God, I, I just want to say, um, may we lift you in the highest, um, no matter what the situation is. We want to lift up our prayers, and um, we have concerns, but we also have joys that are in the midst of that. For your Holy Spirit, here today and always, we give you uh, thanks for that. For Lou, who's doing well. For um, Dennis, who is losing the battle of COVID, and anyone else who is losing, or families who, like uh, the Edwards family who's lost um, an uncle and a brother and a husband um, due to this horrific disease. Uh, God, we just ask that you be with them and all others. We're in the midst of that. For George Chadwick, who's having surgery. Um, for Raquel, who's going to be induced. We uh, thank you for the, putting this child in this family um, and for, um, you know, just all that this baby girl is going to do. And for um, Lindsay Racine and Ricky, who have their own health concerns, we ask that you uh, be with, with Ricky Smith and um, Lindsay Racine and all others. Uh, and so, God, whatever prayers there are that are spoken or unspoken today, we just uh, pray that you will make a way and that you will do uh, your will um, and that, God, ultimately, that we can just uh, fi find it in ourselves to just set things aside and just to praise and focus on you during this time. With everything that's going on, we just ask for your Holy Spirit not to only be here as we've already celebrated, but more importantly, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us, to speak to us, to empower us, to put us in a different place than we've ever been. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. In your name we pray. And everybody says, amen. All right. Awesome. Amen. Um, Uh, go ahead. So we're going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and do announcements first, and then we're going to go ahead and we'll show our, li our little video. I, want, I don't want you to miss out on that video, right? You guys are getting used to it now, aren't you? All right. So I'm just going to go do some announcements. First of all, um, if you're visiting with us, welcome. Hi. Um, if you're visiting online, everybody tell online church hello. There we go. All right. So um, uh, online church, we're glad that you're with us today. A couple announcements. Big one is um, Christmas is on what day? Not the 25th, we know that, but Saturday, right? It always changes. So I, I believe next year it'll be on Sunday, which means we won't be here because Jesus doesn't even come to church on his birthday. So, um, but um, it's, it's one of those things. I have an old story. When I was um, in Lewis, Delaware as a pastor, I, we had young kids. I did three Christmas Eve services on Saturday night. The last one got done about 1.30 by the time I got out of there. I drove two hours plus home, um, got up at 6 o'clock, opened gifts, and went all the way back down for me um, and 12 people. Jesus didn't even show up, I'm telling you. He wasn't even there. Um, but, um, and they gave me cake pretty much for breakfast, so we're not doing that again. Um, but, um, but ultimately, we are going to be celebrating Christmas Eve. Um, we do have these cards out there, correct, Dana? Are they at both doors? both doors, grab some of these, okay? Um, a lot of times we don't know about asking people things, like we're not sure about asking people to come. You don't have to, you can go, hey, here you go, and then you can do that thing where you say, hey, what time should I pick you up, 6 or 6.30? 
It's the old sales trick. You don't give them a choice. All right, you give them a guided choice. But um, it's a great time. Again, uh, you don't have to get all gussied up and dressed up. It's just come as you are. We will have a fun time. And um, we try to gear up for some kids, too, who are here um, and all kinds of things. So whatever, um, we're just planning on having a good time singing some uh, Christmas songs and, and just uh, celebrating the, um, the uh, birth of Jesus. And then we're, we'll head out. And there may be a special guest who shows up this, week, this year. Just all I'm saying. But you got to come to find out. That's all I'm saying. All right. Um, okay, so, so be sure to grab these uh, as you're going out the door and hand them out to people. Would be awesome. All right, let's take a look at some of the other announcements that we have going on. So be, I'm going to give one more announcement before we roll into um, to the rest of things. Parish Foundation. Uh, we're good? Awesome. How many do we have that we need before? We had, 18, we had 18 before church that we needed lunches, and now we're good. Isn't that awesome? God, you know, God's doing some maybe peanut butter and jelly like he did with uh, fish and loaves. So that's awesome. All right. So, okay, take it away. One more time. Here we go.
All right, good, good deal. We are in week five. Again, um, we're in week five. I think one more time, you got to listen to that and see it. So, uh, but um, uh, week five of uh, our series, Call Me Job, um, Broken and Changed. And so we're going to do that. Uh, one of the things is I want to give you guys some, you know, some props um, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. We did um, Operation Christmas Child. We did Thanksgiving uh, dinners. Um, and then we did Angel Tree. And one of the kind of things, I still hear that thing. So it, it refuses. It keeps wanting to play. Do you hear it? Um, so, um, but um, the, uh, we did soldiers, stockings for soldiers, and so many other things. Um, after Angel Tree, we also had, um, so you guys are listening to it too. You're not listening to me. I can hear you hear the music. Um, it, sorry, ADHD, it just happens. It doesn't matter medication or not, I'm gone. Um, but um, one of the things that, uh, that uh, March just told me is we had, after we had done uh, Angel Tree, we had several others that um, wanted to go ahead and, um, and that people needed something and were in a panic. Um, you guys got 60 more gifts for them. So that is amazing, 60 more guests. So yeah, give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. All right. All right, so good stuff. Uh, let me ask you the question. That was the last question up here. How was your week? Who had a good week? Who had a week? Who had a, uh? All right, okay, there's some of those. All right. So we all have a little bit of that. So again, we are in week five of um, Broken, and Cha- uh, Cho- Broken and Change, Call Me Job. And our premise from this whole series has been from the day that you were born, you and I were born, and Debbie's going to have a new granddaughter this week, right? And for, from the day that she was born, her life will be filled with trouble. Sorry, I mean, that's what happens. This is what happens. That's what we're told. Um, but that's just one of the things that, that life is about. Um, and with a real quick review, I'm not going to go really in depth. If you uh, haven't been here the last... Uh, previous weeks, um, by all means, check them out online. Um, and so um, there's, there's been a lot, of, a lot of really cool things in this series. But week one, we met a man uh, named Job from Uz. Um, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of wealth and prayer. Um, and God, he was really a man of God. Uh, blameless and upright is what, um, what, he said, what God said about him. Uh, so then we introduced to Satan, which is a nickname, the accuser. And all of a sudden, God's in heaven, angels are there, Satan's with him. God says, where you been? He says, just roaming back and forth. He's restless. We find out that Satan is restless and that he's just looking to go th- around to cause trouble. Um, our first week, the title was Naked Coming and Going, and God was bragging about Job. So uh, Satan, within 10 minutes, decides to take everything he has, his wealth, his transportation, his jobs, and ultimately his children. His children are killed. All 10 of his children are killed at that, that uh, moment. Job passed the test. He does not um, curse God, but he worships God. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Week two, the title of that was called When It Rains, It Soars. And uh, again, Satan ch- comes through. Same kind of story. Satan comes through uh, in front of the throne room, and he says, God says, have you considered Job? And he's like, yeah, I did, but, and I messed with him, but I couldn't mess with him. Give me, let me mess with his body. Let me hurt his, his health. And Satan says, skin for skin, and he'll curse you and die. So Job is inflicted with this horrific disease that has sores all over his body, so painful that he was just scraping the sores with pottery and uh, laying outside. And in that week, his wife, who um, is grieving, comes out and basically says, are you going to still 
stay true to your wholehearted love for God and still say, blessed be, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he says, yeah, I'm going to. And, um, and he does just that. And so um, week three, we have his, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, it was his uh, friends who were great at first. They shut up for a week. And then when they started talking, they did not ever shut up. We have Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And basically, they're called miserable comforters because they blame Job more than anything. They're like, you, you're in this predicament because of your sin. He's like, I'm blameless and upright. I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. I did what's right. I follow God. And they're like, nah, has to be something. And they continue to beat him up. And basically, what we came to the crux of in that is if advice is given biblically and factually and, and necessary, then it should always be followed with love. Last week was Bad Breath and a Bag of Bones. I have fun with these titles, by the way. Um, and Job is dealing with disappointment. Disappointment ultimately in his friends. Bildad even goes so far as says, your children died because of something you did. And continues on and on and on. And, and Job is disappointed in God, feels like God has even left him. And God is silent and, and that God is actually against him. He says, God is looking at me as an enemy. And meanwhile, he says, I'm just, he said, my wife doesn't want to be around me because I have bad breath. And um, then he says, and I'm just skin and bones. That's all I am. He's wasting away. But in the midst of that, after his, his complaining and his struggle, he gives probably one of the most quoted verses in all of Job, where he says, and I know, I, even though you say I'm guilty, I know I'm dying. He says this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand on the earth. In other words, one day, even though I'm wasting away, I know I will be vindicated by my Redeemer. Today's title of the sermon is called, I Know Nothing. There we go. I Know Nothing. It's not a personal story, but um, it's I Know Nothing. But Job, in the midst of all his turmoil, all his confusion, is doing something we all do and we need to do. He wonders why all that he's learned and all that he knows no longer makes sense. In the midst of all that he's been through, he is so alone, he thought, as many of his friends did, that if you serve God and you're good with God, that guess what? You know, good things happen. You, God, God blesses you. And he lived that life for a long time. Now all that has changed, and he has no idea why he's suffering. He's being ostracized by his, by his wife, his uh, friends, and God himself. And he just has no clue what to do. Many of us try to do something when we do this. We try to find answers. Anybody ever tried to find answers to something that you can't answer at all? And we try to find, and so does Job, find some sense of wisdom in the midst of a circumstance that makes no sense. There's a story about a cruel pet owner who took his dog and he, he went to Africa and he let his dog off in the deepest jungles of Africa. Wandering around, this poor old dog noticed a leopard coming rapidly in his direction, but sneaking up. He obviously was very hungry. Well, this dog was a pretty smart dog, and he noticed some old bones laying on the ground close by. The dog immediately settled down to chew on the bones and turned his back to the approaching leopard. As the leopard began to creep and creep and was right about ready to leap, the dog said very loudly, my, that was one delicious leopard. I wonder if there's any more around here. To that, the leopard went and took off. Went, whew, that was close. That dog nearly had me. But meanwhile, there was a mischievous monkey 
He was hanging around and he thought, you know, I've been running from this leper for a while. I'm going to kiss up to him a little bit. And saw, he saw what happened. He said, I'm going to make trouble for that dog and things are going to be really good for me. So the monkey went ahead and swung over to where the leopard was now hiding. And he said, let me tell you what really happened. And he told him the story. The dog saw the monkey and said, I'm going to kind of follow behind to see what was going on, what's going on here. So he kind of crept and listened, and he heard the monkey sp spilling the beans. And then he said, there's a crisis. And he says, you know, what, what should I do? What in the world should I do here? He said, I'm going to die if I, I don't know what to do. So he, light bulb comes on, and he quickly decides what he's going to do. He runs back to those bones. At the same time, the leopard is now infuriated, and he's hungry. And he's like, I am going to get this dog. I am going to eat this dog. It's going to be hot dog today. I'm going to get some. I'm going to eat this dog. And so he, he, he start, takes off, and the monkey, who is now his buddy, hops on his back. And he's like, the monkey's like, yeah, buddy's with the leopard. I got this good. They, they approach, and this leopard is like really here. And all of a sudden, the dog is there. Once again, he's chewing on the bones. And as the leper gets closer and closer and closer, the dog says real loudly, where's that lazy monkey? I sent him off an hour ago to bring back one of those leopards, and he still hasn't returned. That is wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, okay? The dog was a wise, wise dog. It's the difference between knowledge, intelligence, and wisdom. There is a big difference between intelligence and wisdom, there's a story about a course at a university. It actually was a university um, that had um, one of the favorite classes taken by students. was called the, a survey of the New Testament. It, um, it was a popular class because there was no homework. There was no reading. There was no tests before the final. Any, any students or former students would have loved to have taken a class like that. Like music appreciation where somebody plays music and you say, I appreciate that. That would be the class that I would love to have. Um, the final, for 25 years, as this professor taught, for 25 years, the professor had the same exact question on the final. Describe the missionary journeys of Paul. Well, a young man who was a lineman for the uh, university's football team with the nickname Meathead took this class. And Meathead had a tutor help him prepare all semester for that one question, which was what? described the missionary journeys of Paul. The day that the test came and everybody was ready for this, Meathead was totally ready. He knew everything about every journey that Paul took. He knew about Philippi and Thessalonica and Rome and Tyre. He knew about Timothy and Barnabas and Luke. He knew every single thing there was to know and he was so ready. The time came for the final and the professor and the teacher's assistants, the TAs began to pass out the test, and this tells you when it was, back in the days of blue books. Anybody remember a blue book? Blue book was, in case you don't know, a little lined paper had blue, blue outline around it, and that's what you put your test in. So they ha handed it out, and the students first started to look. They wanted to see the question. What was the question for 25 years? Describe the journeys of Paul. When they looked, everybody had a big, <gasps> because for the first time in 25 years, the professor had a different question. The question said, critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. Everyone in the room was shocked. 
after a while, one person in the back of the room said, grabbed his blue book, put his name on it, flopped it down, completely empty. Another person on the other side of the room did the same thing. Before you knew it, every single person in the student was in the classroom was throwing down, every single student was throwing down empty blue books or ones that just had scribbles and big question marks, except for one person, Meathead. Meathead began to open his blue book and he began to write. And he wrote and he wrote and he wrote. The professor's assistant came back an hour later and guess what? Meathead was still writing, still writing. Uh, so he let him go and then he came back two hours later. Guess what? Meathead's still writing. The TA said, hey, uh, time is about up. He said, okay, give me a couple more minutes. And Meathead was writing and writing and writing. And then he went and he handed in his blue book, completely full, even that he had to write in the back of the blue page because he had so much in it. The professor later had an easy grading system because he had one large pile on the right with nothing or barely nothing in it. And on the other side, he had one completed blue book by Meathead. Well, that afternoon, as the professor graded them, he went ahead and he put Fs on everybody's paper, except for one. One person had an A+. Who was it? Meathead. A classmate later was like, what in the world did you write about? How did you know about that? Meathead took his blue book that had an A+, and said, here, read it. On the first page, Meathead's opening statement said, who am I to criticize Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Instead, let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. <laughs> that, my friends, Meathead discovered wisdom where no one else did. Um, from Job 28, this section is a lot about, it's all about wisdom. Uh, Job is responding to pretty much all his friends, his own inner struggle, and he's also particularly dealing with Bildad. Um, and so there's a few things we learn about from Job's search for wisdom and our own search for wisdom from this chapter. And I'm going to share that with you. And if time allows, I'm going to go ahead and add, um, add a little uh, Christmas spin on the end of this. First thing, and again, um, Melinda, I'm going to ask you to put up the bulletins in case anybody wants to get that with their uh, QR code um, electronically. Um, go ahead, and you can go ahead and hit the... Um, Hit your camera up there and go ahead and get your, uh, your digital um, bulletin. That's what it's called or whatever. Worship guy. We have all kinds of fun names for stuff now. All right. Um, number one, the first thing that we know and we learn in our search for wisdom is crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. That dog had to come up with some wise answers pretty quickly. Otherwise, he was going to be a leopard snack. Correct? So um, Meathead had to come out with some wisdom really quickly or else he was going to fail like the rest of the class. Anytime there's a crisis, it causes us to go ahead and act with wisdom. I remember when we were in um, Israel back in 1996, early that year. There were several of us who were there. It just so happened at the time that there were some bombings around the area, not near us. We were sitting in a, a spa in the Dead Sea when people here were freaking out, but we were in a spa. It was really nice um, and floating around in Dead Sea water, uh, and people here were worried, but we were there, and so these bombings were kind of going around that time, and back then, the airport in Tel Aviv um, was a, like more like a big open area, really big. 
And so now it's got its own different departments, and, and it's uh, much, much different. And is, Israeli security is, has always been one of the top in the world because they've dealt with this whole kind of thing for years, and long before 9-11 for us and other things. Well, we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, we're, we got our stuff, and we're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, this announcement comes on um, in, uh, in, in Hebrew over the, over the speaker, and... All of a sudden, you see people start running from anywhere. I don't speak Hebrew, so I don't have a clue what's going on here. Nobody did. Um, But then we heard somebody in English shout, get down. And so what I did is I, being a good uh, fiance at the time, threw Melissa to the ground and laid on top of her. Which she said she couldn't have got out because my fat rear arm was on top of her anyway. So, um, and, and so, um, but uh, that's what happened. One guy who was with us was uh, a New York City cop, and he was going like this, looking around. I don't know what he was looking around for. I don't know if he was going to throw his luggage at him or whatever. But he was adapting to that. And then somebody said, let's get out. And we go out. And this one guy uh, was with us. He was hilarious. He, he, was pu- he pushed the cart out. Everybody else ran. And he said, if I'm going to get blown up, I'm going to get blown up with my stuff. You know, I mean, that's where he was. And, and you know, so, so what we, we didn't have a clue what was going on, but we saw everybody else, and we had to have some kind of wisdom and react. Correct? Let's just let you know what happened. They said, hey, there's a package here. Um, it's unclaimed. Obviously, the, the culture at the time was look out. So everybody just started running, and you know how we are. The blind lead the blind, and we just all take off. And it was just nothing, but it was one of those times that we had to search for wisdom in the midst of a crisis that had to happen, and seeing how different people dealt with that. Um, anybody remember Hurricane Katrina? Remember probably the worst hurricane that we've had uh, in, in history? Um, the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, millions of people in the vicinity, particularly of New Orleans, began asking very simple questions. They had no power. They had no transportation, uh, unless it was a boat, right? Um, food and water was, was um, of short supply, and any water that was there was contaminated. And they wanted to know a big question. The question was simply this, how are we going to survive? Okay, how are we going to survive? A few days after deteriorating conditions continued, the questions um, of how we're going to survive then became an intense panic of how are we going to make it? People were scared to death. Thousands were homeless and stayed in um, sports arenas. Looters were on the streets that were not covered by several feet of water. Um, Governmental agencies were woefully unprepared for the magnitude of this crisis. And with each passing day, the crisis got worse and worse. And the demand for action and applied knowledge, wisdom, what to do in this circumstance, the outcries were coming from all over the world on this time. Eventually, steps were taken um, to alleviate those needs, the immediate needs of Katrina's victims. But not before hundreds of people had died. Many people had dealt with, uh, with physical sexual abuse and rape in some of these situations. Um, Worldwide criticism was directed at the leaders for not doing and not being prepared as they should have been. What people began to look about is what, one of the reasons that the storm's effects were so devastating is simply this. A huge po- part of the population did not evacuate. In spite of mandatory evacuations that were there, 
and notices weather data that showed the strength, the size, and the direction of the coming storm that it was going to hit directly, and that they said the initial part was not going to be the hurricane, but the storm surge that flooded afterwards. All this information was there, and people didn't take the knowledge that they had and apply it, and applied knowledge is the definition of wisdom, and make it happen um, so that they would be safe. Less than one month later, Hurricane Rita hit the Texas-Louisiana state line and border, and the aftermath of the storm wasn't nearly as disastrous. What do you think the main reason was? People learned, and people began to have wisdom. Most of the people in the path of the storm had taken a lesson from Katrina. Galveston, Texas. Anybody been to Galveston? Anybody been to Galveston? Okay, yeah, I, it, it's neat. You can ride on the beach. Um, but um, it's a coastal city that has about uh, 58 to 60,000 people. But when Rita was told it was coming, it was a ghost town because everybody in there evacuated before Rita made landfall. Margaret O'Brien Molina, a spokeswoman for the American Red Cross, said, normally we see people begin to make preparations about 48 hours before a hurricane hits. But four days before Rita was to come ashore, she said gas was starting to dwindle in some areas and stores were jammed with people getting ready. They are all taking it very seriously because of Hurricane Katrina. They had applied wisdom. Hurricane Katrina intensified hurricane awareness for the residents in the Gulf Coast. And most of them acted on wisdom when that next one came. For Job, I think of Job. Job must have got hit by, felt in 10 minutes he got hit by three Katrina hurricanes. He lost everything that he had. He lost the devastating effects, had the devastating effects um, of the losing his children. And then just a little bit later, he had the horrific effects of his diseased body that was wasting away. And remember, he said he escaped by the skin of his teeth. And that means that the only part of his body that wasn't covered with sores were the gums of his teeth, uh, gums of his mouth. And he had no teeth in there, too, we learned. Here's Job, hit by this. It took him one week, one week to begin to speak. And when he started speaking, he was looking for answers. He needed wisdom. He needed understanding more than he ever did. Why? Because the situation was horrific. Let's look at Job chapter 28, verse 12 through 15. I have this printed twice in your, in your um, bulletin because um, I just wanted you to take a look at it. And what's the question he asked here? But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortals comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. Nothing Job ever had. Remember, Job was the wealthiest guy around. Job was the, the most godly guy around. Job was somebody who we said that probably was a redeemer for other people, that he paid their debts. Remember, we talked about that last week. Job was just an awesome guy, and life was really cool for him. But at this moment, he can't find an answer to any of this. And he said, I've looked in everything I've ever had, every person I've ever met, every place I've ever gone, every price I could ever pay, and none of that can ever bring me wisdom and understanding that I need and seek at this time. Have you ever felt like at those times in life that you would do anything just to know why or, or how to get out of it? You would do anything, pay anything 
Like for instance, what I find again is, is crisis intensifies our care about something and our attention and our knowledge to figure that out. When you or someone is diagnosed with something, when you, ha- when you have something, like for instance, I know when, um, when Rachel was 15 and had a, had a migraine that caused a stroke, I wanted to know everything I could about the type of migraine she had. I wanted to know what caused it. We wanted to find out every single thing about that. You know, I was, I was fairly old at that time. I was in my 40s when that happened. And the thing is, I, didn't, I, I had migraines myself. I had friends. I had a friend in, in grad school who had migraines so much he would have to leave class, give himself a shot, and sleep in the car. Um, with, with a, like a darkening mask over his, over his face. But I didn't care until it was somebody who I love and cared about that I wanted to find out about everything I could. For instance, many of us may remember a year or even a month or, or something ago where COVID was this kind of mystery. Remember when COVID first started and we, we knew the first person that got it? I think the first person I knew was your sister, Patty. Remember back in the day? And we were all scared to death when we knew it was your sister when it was somebody that we love. And then now many of us know people who've been affected and many who have died from COVID as the Edwards family is, is dealing with themselves and as we, we as a church family did with Danny Pelkington. It means something to us when it's not just on TV and it's far away and it's far removed. But when it hits close to home, then, then we want to know how can we stop this? What can we do to limit it? What can, we have all these questions in life. I have in my vocabulary carcinoid cancer. Why do I have that? Because that's what my mom had. Okay, that's what I know about in there. I know, I, I know these things because people went through them that I love, or I've gone through some stuff myself. And so that crisis intensifies my need to understand. For instance, I have friends who have BPD, borderline personality disorder. I want to know everything I can about that so I can relate to them. I know it's a shock to you that I have ADHD. I'll let that settle in for a bit, all right? Um, but I've, I learned uh, back in, in February and March, I got some information that showed about an adult with ADHD, and all of a sudden a light bulb went on in my head because I had some knowledge about why I process things the way I do, and I was able to share that with people I love and care about so they can understand why I'm as insane as I am about certain things and why there's certain things that I just tunnel vision on and other things I'm like all over the place. Uh, and so it was, it was an understanding. It also helped me understand why I did some things and how I, how I relate and how I grew up in life and wh- wh- why the choices I made. So I had, why did I care about it? Because I have it, I want to know about it. Crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. Number two, here's the thing. We cannot discover wisdom. We learned this from Job. We cannot discover wisdom. Job will search for wisdom by looking at all the things around him. And it will end with this determination that we cannot discover wisdom, number one, in this life. He first says, guess what? We're not going to discover wisdom here in this life. In Job 28, 21, here's what he says. It is hidden from the eyes of how many living things? Every living thing. Concealed um, even from the birds of the sky. What do you think he said from the birds of the sky? Anybody know? You ever talked about a bird's eye view? You kind of see things differently, and birds are known. You ever seen like, you ever seen like these like um, 
what are they, uh, are they seagulls or whatever at the beach, and they fly out over the water, and then they'll see something, they're like, shoom, bam, get it, pop up, or, you know, they, how you can, you, can, you can be all by yourself, and you're sitting on the boardwalk, and you have a piece of pizza, and you go, and they go, because they see things very clearly. He says that birds can't even tell you where wisdom is. They've, they see everything, and you can't find wisdom. You're not going to discover it in this life. In verse 11, Job tells us that he, he goes on to this other section here, and he says, you know, as humans... And this is the first written book of the Bible, the oldest written down. And he says, human um, inquisitive nature is amazing. And because when we ask the question, and, and I taught philosophy for many years, and the, the basis of philosophy is to ask the big question, why? And how? And, and that starts all kinds of things. So the early philosophers began to, to think about you know, what, what is the meaning of life and how did I get here and what's here? And they began to, to uh, say, say things that now we look at and say that's really kind of odd. That is really kind of thing. Like some believe that we were made, um, that the original source of everything was air. One person thought it was fire. Uh, okay, one said it was this thing mysterious called a perion. So they were trying to think, and now we're like, this is, this is odd. But when they began to look at that, and people like Aristotle began to look at plants and began to wonder how they work, it began to form our sciences of biology and chemistry and, and our mathematics and all those other things in order to go ahead because they had the question of why in their mind. And this is something that, that Job says is amazing about humans. We asked by, anybody had a little kid who always asked questions? Like, you go ahead and you say, um, you say something, and you're like, why, why did that happen? I remember one time, Judah was really, really little. He was sitting in a, in a, um, in a uh, you know, one of the baby seats kind of thing in, in, the char, in, the, in the car. And he looks over, and he goes, what's that over there? And Melissa says, uh, it's, a, it's a cemetery. It's a, it's a graveyard. It's where people um, who passed away, who died, are there. And his question was, what'd they die from? I mean... Pick one, all of them, you know what I mean? Um, and, but his, his, his inquisitive nature, and our inquisitive nature throughout history is what's brought on technology. And it brought it to uh, an amazing thing. Um, there's this thing um, called the Knowledge Doubling Curve by Buckminster Fuller. Say that five times real fast. Um, he wrote a book in 1982 called Critical Path. Anybody ever heard about this Knowledge Doubling Curve? Anybody ever heard this? It's fascinating. Um, and what he describes this knowledge doubling curve is this. He explains that new knowledge, and in 1982 he said, new knowledge is doubling every 18 months. Every 18 months. Here's the thing, though. Many scholars now believe, with the help of the Internet, that this is going to move the doubling of knowledge, that knowledge will eventually, and is moving to this pace very quickly, that knowledge will, it's now every 13 months, and they're saying it will probably double every 12 hours. Okay? Knowledge doubling every 12 hours. To put it in context, in 1900, human knowledge doubled about every 100 years. So what people knew in 1900 doubled into, by the time of 2000. By the end of 1945, or actually 1900 to 1800, by 1945, the rate was every 25 years it was doubling. And now we're looking at 13, uh, uh, 13 months and looking forward to every year doubling what we know. However, 
That does not mean we are smarter. Knowledge can come at us. It's kind of like if, I, if you said, let's have a catch with a baseball, and I threw 25 baseballs at you at the same time. You, you have less of a chance, chance of catching any of them. Um, but if you throw one at a time, then you get it. Uh, Evan Horowitz, the director of research communication at the FCLT Global, um, which, is a, uh, which is a research center in Boston, Massachusetts, stated this. I love this quote. It might be on my social media later. People are getting dumber. <laughs> that is not a judgment. It's a global fact. There have been several studies that have been done over the years that show that our emotional intelligence, um, our IQs, even though knowledge isn't doubling and increasing, our IQs are dropping around the world. There's an, um, and even our emotional intelligence is dropping as well. There's an expectation to solve problems, and people want problems. How often do people want problems solved? At the click of a mouse. People want it taken care of right then. Um, and so um, what they're saying is that, that this is happening time and time again. Don't you find those things fascinating? I added them because I just find those things very fascinating. Job and we must realize that wisdom, no matter how, how often knowledge is coming at us, wisdom is not found in any of that stuff coming at us. Nothing in this world. It's hidden from the eyes of all mortals. And since Job was not able to discover wisdom... Among the living, he moves on to the next thing. He says, guess what? You can't, un, you can't experience, um, you, you can't discover wisdom in this life. Guess what? You can't even discover it beyond this life, is what he says. In Job 28, verse 22, he writes this and he says poetically, destruction and death say, only a rumor of it, only a rumor of wisdom has reached our ears. He personifies destruction and death and says they don't even know what, what, where wisdom is. They have no idea. It's only a rumor that we've heard with our ears. And what he does, he implies that those who go to what they called in the, in the Old Testament, the abode of the dead, Hades, it's, it's hell, but it's not hell. Just go with it, okay? Um, and he says that, that people still wonder and will wonder, those who, who go to the abode of the dead, not to heaven, will still wonder how did I miss out on those things in life? What else did I miss out that I'm not having this life? Because what Job tells us is there is no chance to acquire wisdom after this life ends as well. There are no second chances in life. You realize that? There are no second chances. And honestly, I want to say this is why the church needs to get its act together. This is really why the church universal needs to get its act together. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says everybody has to die once and then face the consequences in the message version. Like Job, and even more than Job, we live in amazing times of technology. I mean, how many of you love you know, your smartphone and love that your car talks to you when you go over the speed limit? Uh, she's a little annoying, but anyways, you know. Um, and if you've never heard that, you probably haven't gone over the speed limit like I do often. Um, I, I mean, I love, I love high-definition television. I mean, it's amazing. I love internet that is not dial-up internet that sings a little song to you. You know what I mean? I, I, like, I love these things. I love the technology that we have in our world today. I love the fact that even in the church, we utilize that technology that, that people, whether for COVID or whatever reason, or they didn't want to roll out of bed today, that can go ahead and watch online. And be part of church 
Uh, and it adds some complications for, for church and fellowship and connection. And as, as many of you have attested to me and many people said, I love having the option, but it's not the same. But it does give us an opportunity where last year we shut down for 13 weeks, but we didn't shut down. We kept going and we kept doing the ministry of the Lord all because of technology. And that's one of the great things that exists there. But like Job, even with the amazing things of technology that we have, like some people alive have no clue what a hymnal is. Some people don't know why the pocket is in the front of your chair for you. That's for a book of a hymnal that sings hymns. And you're like, what are hymns? They're like worship songs in a book, okay? And, and they're, they, they just go with it, all right? Um, and everybody sings harmony with them. Um, but, and they all end with, oh, man, okay, that's, that's hymns. Um, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Because now we have technology that we utilize in order to do things. But one of the things that we always have to ask ourselves in the church is simply this. Are we missing out on the truth of the gospel because of everything else that we have? I found an interesting article on, on the web called The Church is Not Six Flags Over Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I love that title. And uh, this is by Pastor Josh Weiss, who is a founder and president of G3 Ministries. I don't know much about it. I just found the article. Um, so, I mean, he could be a horrific person. I don't know. He's a Baptist pastor in Atlanta. And he had this quote, and it just really kind of struck me. He said, Today there are various and sundry opinions on how to make church successful and relevant to a modern culture. Sadly, many pastors and church leaders are turning their local church campuses into an amusement park for Christians rather than a campus designed for discipleship and worship. Everything from a fire truck baptistry to indoor fireworks and a weekly rock concerts are being used to attract people to church. As we consider the importance of God's church, the very bride of Christ, we should likewise evaluate the methods, strategies, and techniques that are being employed in our day beneath the umbrella of gospel ministry. I think it's a question we need to ask. Um, one of the largest churches in the, in the country, uh, uh, Church of the Highlands in Alabama, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges, I had seen him in 2019, and he said, we constantly ask, what is a distraction and what does, uh, from, from God? And at that time, I mean, we're talking a massive church, and, and they have every bit of technology that you could imagine. And when we went back this, this summer, he had removed the lights moving, like a light show. He said the light show was about entertainment, not about Jesus, and he completely stopped it. He's always evaluating things. It's like the great leader of India, Mahatma Gandhi, said. He spoke very strong words to Christians um, time and time again. Matter of fact, one of his great quotes is, I would have become a Christian if I ever truly met one. And Mahatma Gandhi said this, you Christians have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite in it to blow the whole civilization to bits, to turn society upside down, to bring peace to this war-torn world, but you read it as if it was just good literature and nothing else. Ultimately, wisdom is beyond our human ability, both in this life and the life beyond. It can't be attained by human effort, so Job gives us something else. Number three, he says, God is the only source of our wisdom. God is the only, only source of our wisdom. In Job 28, 23, look what he says here. 
He says, God understands the way to it, that is to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God understands the way and knows his place. Unlike us, God knows wisdom, where it's located, able to search it, able to find it. And God is the only one who can do that. The reason for God's ability for this is because we talked about the other week, the godness of God. Because who God is, that's why he knows. That's why he can do things. It's the omniscience of God. God is all-knowing. He's able to view and see all things. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Even the, the good, bad, and the ugly, he knows. God has wisdom. And this is what we learned, first of all. God has wisdom in, in a part of his being, in every part of his being. It's in his being. God has complete mastery over all facets of the earth. He has knowledge of all truths, implications of all truths, and application to all truths. So what does this mean? God is the one to whom every person needs to turn in order to search for wisdom. Not only does God have wisdom because it's part of him, but God has wisdom that he embedded in creation. In Job Job finishes in 25 through 27. Look what he says here. He says, when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it. What in the world is Job saying here? You might say he's been having too much sackcloth and ashes um, here. But here's what he's saying. He's saying the idea is that when God laid down the foundations and the laws that govern our world, and the laws that in particular govern a particular storm, that God established the force of the wind. God knew exactly what wind, how much wind was going to go there and establish it. He measured out the water, said he determined how much rain was going to fall. Yeah, we're getting to this time of year when the, um, the weathermen and women are going to go ahead and tell us, um, go get your milk and bread because it's going to snow, you know, 10 feet. And then we're going to get like a snowflake and we're going to have no bread and milk in the stores. You know what I mean? Um, but God de- declares that. He said he, he, he determines a path for the thunderstorm. He says he looked, he appraised, he confirmed, he tested, which shows God is very closely intimate with wisdom and knows exactly how it is. Wisdom in the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is actually personified in the name Sophia. And it's given a name of wisdom that's actually personified in that. Number four. Everybody good? Godly wisdom leads to godly action. Godly wisdom leads to godly action. Job knew that, that just knowledge about God wasn't enough. Real wisdom leads to real action. In verse 28 of 28, he says this. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So if you want to know what wisdom is, fear fear of the Lord and to shun evil is understanding. What in the world does he mean? He tells us that wisdom is given through a two-sided idea. Number one, we discover wisdom through the fear of God. Now, that, I, I have problems with that. I thought it was like, like many people said, God's going to get you. God's going to get a lightning bolt and part your hair right down the middle. God's going to get you. And you're like, oh. And there's some people who are really afraid of God, really, really scared of God. That's not what it means. A fear of the Lord is a statement that means to honor, respect, and worship the Lord. I, if I, if I got to be honest, I don't feel that 
the church universal is really good. I think we're better at being afraid of God than we are of honoring, revering, and worshiping God the way he deserves. Like, for instance, now Tuesday, because they moved the game, darn NFL. Um, I sometimes worship a sport more than I worship God. I some, I, there's people in our, in our society, and even in the body of Christ, that worship politicians more than they worship God. You say, no, 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 I don't, I don't serve, but our actions. I have a theory that I believe that as religion, organized religion has, has discon- many people have disconnected from it, that's been replaced by the new religion in our country, at least, is politics. I'm not going to get into that, but if you want to talk to me later, we can do so. But what I'm saying is, if, you, if I were to ask you a question, what do you actively in your life worship with your whole being, God or something else? I gotta be honest, it's something else. Or shall I say this and be honest, something's else. Right? If you don't believe me, watch the people in church and then go watch their kid at a sporting event. Right? This is hard, this is hard. This whole thing of Job is hard for us. And God's not here to beat us up. I think he's just, Job is just telling us in order to have wisdom, i got to get my stuff together as well. We discover through the fear of the Lord. And what does that mean? It means to acknowledge his deity, his lordship, to acknowledge his supremacy over everything, to respond in all humility, worship, love, and obedience, to give proper human response in the presence of God, that when we're in the presence of God, we have an awe and a majesty that the presence of God here. We had a, we had a, 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 thank, a, a, a praise in our prayer request today, thank you for doing that, that said, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is here. But how many of us acted and are experiencing like, oh my gosh, the presence of God is here. In, in the Hebrew tradition, at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, um, they, have, they have male females, and you walk up, and they call it God's mailbox because you put prayers in the cracks of, uh, of the, the stones. And when you're done, you walk backwards out. So that you don't disrespect by turning your back on God. How many of us live our lives constantly turning our backs on God in every facet of our lives? Proverbs 9.10 says to us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That honor, that respect, that, that, that humble adoration of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says, And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To, to fear God, to honor God, is where we begin to have wisdom. But to know God, and that is an intimate knowing is where we begin to have understanding. We must have a deep-seated humility grounded in abiding awareness of our absolute dependence and undeserved mercy of God. I'm gonna say that again because when I wrote that sentence, I thought, wow, that's a good sentence. I'm gonna read it again. We must have a deep-seated humility grounded in an abiding awareness of our absolute dependence on the undeserved mercy of God. That is a heck of a lot better than your response. That is a really good sentence right there. Well, you want to hear it again, Ron? Okay, Ron wants to hear it again. Here we go again. All right, we must have a deep-seated, 
humility, grounded in the abiding awareness of our absolute dependence on the undeserved mercy of God. There you go. That's better. All right. You're going to be like, what was that sentence later? I'm going to have to put it out there. A true wisdom is an acknowledgement that we know God only as he has decided to reveal himself to us. And that revelation of God, as it is in the Old Testament, when God revealed a little bit of himself, people fell out because they couldn't be in the presence of an almighty God. Number two, we discover through the fear of God and we discover wisdom through, ready for this? Obedience to God. Part two of verse 28 says, to shun evil. This means to turn away from everything that's bad. Living, and you know, what we need to do is begin to understand. Because when we have an honor of God, and then we begin to have the knowledge of God and his word and his revelation to us in his word, through his Holy Spirit, then we start to live as God wants us to. Not because God is a big party pooper in the sky, but because God created us. He knows everything. He's, all wisdom comes from him. And he's given us the Bible to say, this is the best way to live and have the fullness of life. Trust me on it, because I know. I know. God states many times in his word that we are to depart from evil. In Psalm 34, depart from evil and do good. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Jeremiah 35, 15, now, now, uh, turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds or fix your deeds. Lots of things God uses to guide us are just that we, that, that lots of things that are in our life that seem appealing. God says, don't get into that because it's not good for you. It's not good for you. Obedience to these commands is the second half of wisdom. Honor and obedience. Honor and obedience. And that's what makes this two-sided idea really one single idea, and here's the single idea. We really do not honor and respect or fear the Lord if we do not obey what he says by avoiding evil. All right? That's what Job gives to us. It's a lot, right? And he's going through a lot, but he tells us we need to be fully dependent on the Lord with that really good sentence I gave you. Since it's Christmas this week, I'm going to give you a really quick rundown of some wise guys. Real quick. Real quick. What made them wise? Like they're called magi, and that's like a magic, and they were, but it says that they knew a lot. They knew a lot about stuff, and they studied the stars and, and studied ancient traditions, and they weren't even Jewish. They were just like, you know, from the East, and so they were just, but they just knew a lot about everything. But we call them wise men. What made them wise? Because their journey, a wise man, and, and man, woman, whatever, Journey is one of faith. It's one of faith. Job's journey is one of faith. No matter what life threw at him, it was one of faith. The wise men in Matthew 25 said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. Now you can imagine when they set out on this journey saying, hey, guess what? We're going on a journey. What are you going to go find? Oh, we're following a star. What's it going to find? There's a king there. Do you know where it is? Nope. How long are you going to be? Not sure. Doesn't sound like they're very wise. But it was one of faith. They were wise because they relied on faith in God, not on the opinions of those around them. Number two, a wise man's journey is one of, ready for this? Worship. It's one of worship. We just talked about worship. Job worshiped every time something came, he worshiped. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and takes away. Um, the wise men came on their journey for the purpose of worship. You say, how did they do that, Jack? The gift symbolized a lot of worship. They bought gold. Gold represents wealth. It's a gift for a king. Jesus was and is the king of kings. They brought frankincense, and it's the sap of a tree that was dried, hardened, and used to make incense. That incense was used in worship to God in the temple. So Jesus was being worshiped as a deity. He's the son of God. And myrrh was a fragrant perfume that was used to anoint the dead, to embalm and preserve them. Jesus was and is the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world away. But there's more important worship than gold, frankincense, or as some little kid said, Frankenstein, and myrrh. Worship always involves, true worship always involves sacrifice. David said, I will not give anything to my God that does not cost me anything. And that's why the wise man's journey, as we see the end of this series next week, a wise man's journey is one of change. In verse 12, the wise men had come some way and they were told, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Isn't it interesting that after they worshiped Jesus, they could not go back to the same way they came? I find that to be a fact today when we really have an encounter with Christ. Once you've met God, you will never be the same. Once you've met the living God through Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. A real encounter with God changes everything. It changes you. It always has. Jacob wrestled with God and, and walked with a limp the rest of his life. Isaiah stepped into the presence of God and claimed, Whoa, I am I'm undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And ultimately, our buddy Job questions God over and over again concerning his suffering. And finally, next week, God's going to show up. And when God shows up, Job, Job and all these arguments and all these things that I think he has a right to deal with. Because remember, God said to Satan, go for it. When God shows up, Job says, I am speechless in awe. Words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I talk too much, way too much. I am ready to shut up and listen, God. How many of us need to, are going through something in life that we don't have answers to, we don't know the wisdom, and that we just need to be like Job and shut up and just listen to what God says? Job met God and became a changed man. As we wind down, this last year has changed me to the point that I don't even know where it's taken me. I have questions, I have concerns, I have anger, and I have emotions. And I don't like some of the things that God has said. I've had arguments, and I've told God. He's not too keen about it. But, I mean, he don't care. He's like, go ahead. Yeah, who are you? I mean, well, he'll tell that to Job next week. Who would think you are? Like, I get it. But I don't like it. Because just starting off losing three people who were some of the closest people to me in my life in 11 months is devastating. The aftermath is even more devastating. Some other things that have happened to me, things that people have said and done, all kinds of things. People who, who acted like they were the closest person to me in the world and just using me for whatever else they could get. And shocked and left wanting 
and hurting and asking questions why. It's changed me. Now, it can change me in a number of different ways. I can be really bitter, which depends on the day. Catch me, you'll find it. Or I can shut up and listen to God. I can say, wait a second. Didn't Jesus come to save us? Didn't he come as a baby in Bethlehem? Didn't he have to, his family have to take off when he was just in that first two years to save his life? Didn't he spend time healing and giving himself to others and, and yet those same people who were singing Hosanna one day, a couple days later were saying crucify him? And didn't he say, Father, forgive them, but they do not know what they do. What will you do when your life starts to fall apart? In your mind, you've been faithful to the word of God, and yet your business is not booming, and your family is not coming together, and is in turmoil, and your career is stagnant, and your cousin is in the hospital clinging to life. And all the while, your nasty neighbor is looking to sell their house because they got a nice big bonus and they need a larger one because their business is going well. And they're a heathen. And your brother's family seems to be very peaceful, but you know that they haven't attended church or care nothing about God. How are you going to have the wisdom to discern what you should do? Oh, it's easy to say we're going to hold on to biblical principles and wisdom no matter what the cost. But let's be honest. When the mortgage passed due and the bills are piling up, it's not so easy. Like Job, all we know about how to succeed may be stripped away and we wonder if anything makes sense. When that happens, it's crucial for ourselves to force ourselves to get on our knees and pray and worship God. We must fear him and change and depart from everything he calls evil. Living out our wise men journeys of faith and worship, being changed by him. And we must turn to his word for our central truth that only wisdom comes from God Almighty. And what I learned, ladies and gentlemen, over this last year is I know nothing. And that's okay, because I know who does. Amen? Let's stand up right now as we um, worship God in this last time, and we also honor God with uh, God's tithe and our offerings as a chance to give. If you're visiting with us today, we don't expect you to give. You're our guest, and we're, we're glad that you're here. And, um, but we're going we're gonna to say a prayer for, for all these things. Uh, Lord God, man, you are you're amazing. God, I've known you so much um, for so many years. From age five at, a, uh, at an altar in Christ United Methodist Church in Federalsburg, Maryland, when I accepted you as my Savior and Lord, not fully understanding what all that meant, but just knowing that, um, that I needed and I wanted Jesus. I always thought all the stuff of God is pretty cool. I mean, come on. You take the Red Sea and you pile it up and then you drown the uh, other suckers, um, the uh, Egyptians. You, um, you, uh, heal people who can't walk and you cause the blind to see and you hung out with a motley crew of people that remind me of me. But God, you know, through it all, 
I, I realized that uh, I, I knew you so much in the mountaintops. Sure, I had bad things happen and negative things happen. But God, you know, uh, this series I called Call Me Job because that's been my, my tongue-in-cheek joke that I'm going to change my name to Job after this last couple years. But God, there's a lot of us that should, we don't have to officially change our name to Job, but we need to, we need a double portion of Job's spirit. Yeah, he whined a little bit, but he whined a lot less than I would have. And every time, God, from disappointment to disappointment in individuals, in you, in everything around him, in loss, Job worshiped. He didn't understand. He didn't know where to find the answers. He looked, and what he decided is, I can't find it anywhere. So who can I find it in? In honoring and worshiping my God. And he never stopped. So God, I'm gonna ask forgiveness for myself and for your church universal, where we have had a fear and honor of other things and we have worshiped other things more than you. God, we think of idolatry as like some golden calf or anything, but God, we have a whole bunch of them. I know I do. And I, I right now, I'm coming to you saying, God, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to grow closer to you. I want to know you more. I want to experience the victory that your son Jesus gave to me on the cross. And when he rose again, empower might, giving me new life that no matter what happens to me in this world, no matter what somebody does, no matter what people um, say about me, no matter who I lose in this world, no matter what happens, if, if I know that I know you and that I have been, I, I have a, an intense, humble relationship and full dependence on the undeserved love and mercy of God, if I know that, I can say as Job did last week, I know my Redeemer lives. And he will stand and I'm going to be with him and my eyes will see him. And I don't have to have it all figured out because God has revealed to me what I need to know to have a fullness of life. So God, right now, I'm done and tired of circumstances controlling my life. I'm tired of emotions and statements and just my own insecurity in life causing me to question the things of you because God as I read your word you said it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever God you said I the Lord your God do not change so I am leaning on the one who created the world who existed long before the world ever existed and is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end you are my God and I will worship you and I will love you in every storm that comes my way. I want people to say not just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's dealing with something else. I want you to be able to say, I want people to be able to say, my gosh, he still worshiped and loved his God. Just like Job said. So God, next week as you speak to us and speak to Job, speak to us in this time right now. For those of us who are giving uh, your tithe and our offerings, God, I ask you multiply them, use them to further your kingdom here and around the world. We know that it has not been an easy year for, for many people. But God, I thank you for a church that when there's a need, they meet it. All in the name of the one who loved us first. We love others. 
So Jesus, fill this place in your mighty name. Amen. to sing. 
everyone hopefully all week we'll be singing in the victory um don't forget christmas eve uh grab some of those cards as you're heading out the door take them hand them to people in your neighborhood um you know um if you really don't like somebody at work take one and give them one and maybe god will change them so um or change you um and so we'll go ahead and and celebrate um during that service christmas eve and then um see you can have back to back christmas eve and then we'll have a um you know, we'll have a great celebration with all things. So everybody have a great week and we'll wrap up Job next week at the end of the year. We're going to wrap up, wrap up Job. And just like he did, we're going to start fresh and claim that God's going to give us a double portion of the anointing all before. Have a great week. If I don't see you, have a Merry Christmas. God bless. And remember, special guest is coming. All right, bye.